0: Would you open God's precious holy word? We will be in Second Chronicles 26 and 2 Kings 14 mostly. We will have a brief reference from 2 Kings chapter 15. I think our purpose in studying, through one of the purposes in studying this is to think of the faithfulness of God and his covenant, which partly is unconditional. Now, with regard to the land, it's conditional. But with regard to the people, it's unconditional. Also gives to us the Scenario of the downward spiral of humanity. If we could project ourselves forward, we, you know, those of us who absolutely believe the Bible, even if we can't understand parts of it, we believe it and we know that when God is ready to Reveal that to us and make us understand it. He'll do that. The Holy Spirit will. But we can know that uh, the Word of God takes us from creation, the beginning of time and space. Then becomes focused on God's purpose for it all. Namely, to bring a people to himself, his own people. Because it pleases him. It's his pleasure to do that. Um, And how God. Deals with his people. And with his strong arm. Holds on to his people. All the way through even into eternity. And so that. That account. That we have in the Bible that takes us from the creation of all things. Carries us through to the consummation of all things. And gives to us. At the end of it, what we can sort of grasp. Even reading it, we can't grasp it completely. We're going to have to experience it, but we can know something of it when we read about it in the Word of God. Now along the way, the fall of man, the purpose of God in every generation, to call to himself... His own, this is an irrevocable thing. It never stops all the way, even into the tribulation, never stops. God is working through everything to his glory and to his praise that he might bring us those who are his to himself in spite of everything. Now along the way, here's what we see. Humanity just drops by the wayside, generation after generation, the Gentiles, the nations. They have no use for God unless it helps them politically or in some way, generally speaking, the Gentiles. The kingdom of Judah is a little different. They are the privileged ones to have the temple where in those times was the presence of God. And there in that temple they could make the true worship to Yahweh, the true and living God. And so all kinds of things happen. Wars and insurrections and, and sinful kings and priests and all this other stuff. But still, God raises up whom he must to do what he will to preserve his people and of course to maintain the establishment of his covenant all the way through to the end of everything. But along the way, we find that the institutions that are entrusted to humanity eventually fail. That's just the way it is in the world. Even the theocracy of Judah and we've begun to see that already but even in Judah where they started out every king did that which was good but now evil was introduced into the kingdom. Uh, Joshua you remember how one king from Judah became buddies with another king. He was a good king. This guy Ahab he was a bad king and they began to buddy up Satan used that and has infused sin, idolatry, and darkness. The seed was planted. And there it is growing and it's it's ever-present. And so now, what seemed to be at the outset, the political, I guess you'd call it, the political purity... Of Judah has gone to compromise, and that story, that reality, continues here in the story of Uzziah. What we'll just call Uzziah. In the story of Uzziah, now he was the king when Isaiah was prophesying, and he died during the ministry of of Isaiah. It was the year that Uzziah died that Isaiah had his vision when he was high and lifted up. You remember Isaiah six and uh, he saw the Lord on his throne. The train filled the temple. Um, And that's because when Uzziah died, the people were perplexed. Uzziah brought stability. He was kind of good and kind of bad um, and we'll see that as we go along here. But God used him to strengthen the southern kingdom of Judah, the divine protection of his promise to bring into this world a deliverer, a savior who will come through the seed of David. God is actively involved in that uh, in every generation, even now, to bring. The Christ of God back to bring his people to himself and then finally bring an end to all things, final judgment, new heaven, new earth, an eternal condition that we will all enjoy in Christ. So here we are, Uzziah becomes a very powerful king. We'll see that as we study. And this brought security to the people. Uh, and of course it brought it it emboldened Isaiah to prophesy the way that he did and some of the greatest some of the greatest prophecies are in Isaiah. Isaiah gives us a clearer picture of the millennial kingdom for example than anywhere else even in the New Testament. So there's all kinds of things to consider when we think of how God works through a king even when that king is seen to be sinful, yet God's purpose will not stop. And he will use that king in spite of the king's um, moral or, or spiritual direction. We see that too as we go along Go along here. So we're going to start in uh, 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 1 as... The king of Judah, Uzziah, comes to the throne and he comes under uh, this evaluation. It's also seen and we'll go to that in 2 Kings as we go along here as well. The entire people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. They made him king instead of his father, Amaziah or Amaziah. He built Elot and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his forefathers. Here's what we're going to see we're going to see that this king let me go to verse 3 Uzziah was 16 he became king he reigned 52 years that's a stable that is a a stable kingdom and his mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem alright so he reigns for 52 years and as a good leader should, he attended both to foreign policy and to domestic policy. And this made him, and of course, his. if he was strong, that meant that his nation uh, was strong as well. So it starts out talking about how early in his reign, he makes sure that his nation is secure. He restores uh, land to Judah after the, his father died. Now, reigned 52 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. As all that Amaziah, his father, had done. Okay. Am, Amaziah. Amaziah. Was partly good and partly evil, and so when the Bible says that Uzziah did the same thing, he starts out good, but he becomes evil. We're going to see why this is happening to the Southern Kingdom in Judah, but it goes back to the time when Jehoshaphat was king, and uh, he he buddied up to Ahab the king and Jezebel. And their children became, king, uh, became friends. And then their sons became... It's, it, you, you can see how this has a negative effect on the spiritual life of the southern kingdom of Judah such that it will carry them all the way to the time when no king really does good in Judah. And finally they are enslaved by Babylon because of their sin. But we see it we see, we've already seen how it started. This Everything's fine. When the king and the priests and the prophets. Keep the people focused. On the worship on the Torah. The law of God. And keep the people focused. On their obligation and duty. To worship Yahweh. The true and living God. But. When in the least way they are allowed to observe and then be introduced to idols, foreign worship, which is—and we've talked about this so much—but it is so, it is so sensually attractive that it just draws. It just has this. It has this uh, dark side where it draws even the people of Judah into its grasp. And they really like that kind of worship, you know? So this, this has already started in the southern kingdom. So you have a king here starts out good, but he winds up bad. It was his custom to seek Elohim in the days of Zechariah, who understood the visions of Elohim. And when he sought Yahweh, the Elohim, Yahweh God, Uh, this caused him to prosper. He sought Yahweh and Elohim, Yahweh, the true God, caused him to prosper. When he sought Yahweh, he prospered. That's what it's saying here. All right, now here's how, here's the account of the same thing in 2 Kings, uh, beginning in chapter 14, verse 21. The entire nation of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built up Eli and restored it to Judah after the king had slept with his forefathers. Now, this same account jumps over to 2 Kings 15, verses one through five. So we keep going here in chapter 15, beginning verse one. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. Sixteen years old when he became king, he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah Je- of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the eyes of Yahweh, like all that Amaziah, his father, did. However, this is bad. The high places were not removed. The people were still slaughtering sacrifices and burning incense on the high places, so this was, a, this was a common occurrence. It is growing more common. The people's spiritual sensitivities are being dulled by the fact that it stays there and then more and more people are drawn into what's happening. The king could have stopped that. Other kings did, but he didn't. Some things he did good. He got a good start. But he did not stop the idolatrous worship that had come to be in the southern kingdom of Judah. It's this very thing that finally brings them down and causes them to be enslaved by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Verse 5. Yahweh brought a plague upon the king. He was stricken with Zarat, that's leprosy. It's kind of a generic term, but in this case it references leprosy, until the day of his death, as he lived in a house of retirement. And Jotam, the king's son, who was appointed over the palace, judged the people of the land. Now there's a little more detail to that in just a second when we go back to Second Chronicles. But anyway, here's here's where it's here's where it's leading us. He becomes so sick. And so consumed with leprosy that he is not able to continue his uh, duties as king. Therefore, his son becomes the steward. He he is the king, but but the the fact that his father is still living means that he's not the official king yet. But still, he is the one ruling, and so he judged. The people of the land. The best thing that could be said about him in that kind of circumstance was that he was the judge of the people. Now we go continue in Second Kings chapter 14, the reign of Jeroboam the second. Now he's the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. Beginning in verse twenty three, Second Kings fourteen. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah the son of Josh, king of Judah. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, ruled in Samaria 41 years. Okay, that's a long time. Kings, especially in the northern kingdom, generally didn't reign that long, but he reigned for 41 years. Now his story and how Yahweh uses his story is interesting in the way that it's presented here in scriptures. And he did what was evil. They all have done that northern kingdom kings. He did what was evil in the eyes of Yahweh. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam. That's the first one. No relation to him. Uh, the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he had caused Israel to sin. He, he permitted this uh, hybrid worship that had Yahweh in there somewhere, but had practices and acknowledgements of other gods. Of course, that, you, you can't do that. And this kind of thing followed the northern kingdom all the way to their complete demise. Jeroboam he restored the boundary of Israel from the approach to Hamat until the sea of Araba. Okay, Jeroboam builds a very strong nation. He builds a strong military. He builds a strong infrastructure. He builds a strong economy, and the people begin to prosper. You get this from reading Hosea and, uh, and Amos. According to the word of Yahweh. The God of Israel. Which he spoke through his servant Jonah the son of Amittai. The, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Now. What does it say? Jeroboam is succeeding. According to the word of Yahweh. Frankly. No leader, national leader, king, otherwise, president, whatever, can really claim any credit for what happened in his rule, in his administration, in his reign. It is according to the word and purpose of Yahweh. And the whole thing, in the whole world, all of the alliances, all of the wars, all of the leaders, All of whatever history may say is something over which uh, Yahweh presides because it is leading to the culmination of the finality of his calling his final people to himself and then finally fulfilling everything that he promised to Israel. And that happens in the millennial kingdom. So this is. This is why the world is going like it is. So regardless of who the president is, regardless of what he's doing, it's happening because it's the will of God and God is always up to something. So even today, people get frustrated with their leaders, but always praise God that he has never given up control of his universe, of his world, of his, uh, of, of, of his creation, never has, never will. So then you'll notice here, now I say that because, and I've probably told you this before, but my first dissertation, my first doctrine was on the northern kingdom of Israel and its, its demise and the spiritual comparisons that are to be, to be made to, well, back then it was 20th century, 20th century United States. And I studied a lot about Jeroboam II. Not much is said here about him. But uh, historically and what the prophets say uh, give us a pretty good view of what kind of king he was, how strong he was, and how strong he made the northern kingdom of Israel. And we're going to see why here in just a minute. Well, there it is in verse 26. Because Yahweh saw the affliction of Israel becoming increasingly severe. They had neither stored property nor free property and they had no one to help Israel. So the northern kingdom, these these greedy, evil kings had been compromising themselves with false gods and with the people of false gods and evil when it's on the throne, always brings with it suffering for the people. And so now the people were really becoming downtrodden. So what does God do? He works through a king, even though an evil king, he works through a king according to his word to help the people overcome their affliction, the Northern kingdom of Israel, to help the people to overcome Uh, their affliction. They didn't have anything. But when you read Hosea and then Amos after Jeroboam toward the end of his reign, the people were very wealthy. Uh, They had, you know, they had uh, ivory palaces and, and couches bejeweled in their sitting room. I mean, they had everything in their day. It was just a, it was an, it was a a really rich, a wealthy society. Thus, so that Hosea, God through Hosea would say, the more I increased them, the more they sinned against me. So as they became comfortable, here they are being helped by Yahweh through a godless king, but it's the power of Yahweh and the people are being helped and they begin to they begin to have self-esteem again. They begin, to, they begin to be able to make a living and they begin to understand prosperity again unlike what they'd seen in recent times. And God is doing this through that king and it, and it works out so well that in their wealth and in all of their free time, they totally forsake Yahweh. There's no knowledge of God. Hosea says, there's no knowledge of God in the land. I and mean, no, Nobody's... Nobody cares about scriptures. They don't care about the worship of the true and living God. They don't care about the Torah, the law. They don't care about righteousness or morality. They give themselves over to everything that's wrong. And the blame is placed on the fact that Yahweh helped them. And they were unthankful. And so they finally met their destruction at the hands of of Assyria. But this is why, verse 26, this is why, and verse 25, the word of Yahweh, this is why Jeroboam II has strength and has the ability to properly lead his people. Yahweh causes it, even through Jeroboam II, godless king, Yahweh causes it for the sake of his people. God loves his people. But the point is also made that in, in all that they are given, when they don't give thanks to the Lord, it goes back to Romans 1 really, when there's no thanksgiving in their hearts and they have no gratitude or knowledge of God, it brings, about, it brings about a way of life that causes the collapse of their society, the utter destruction of their system, and the total enslavement of the people. When the Assyrians come from the north and carry them captive, they catch them in their own, uh, in their own uh, laziness, um, in their own arrogance. And there, there, there's no way they could fight a war by that time. Now Jeroboam II will have been dead for a while and a couple of decades will pass and about six different men come to the throne after such stability. 41 years of Jeroboam II, and then they all start fighting over who's going to be the leader, who's going to be the leader. They totally forget the people. They totally forget the nation. They totally forget the fact that they have a very strong enemy who stands ready to pounce on them to come in, enslave them, and take everything they've ever, ever had. They don't even think about it. They're just thinking about their, themselves, their pride, their arrogance, um, they, who, who wants to be in charge. In total, and they lost, they lost everything. But back to this point, Jeroboam II is made to be strong according to the word of Yahweh. Because Yahweh wants to help the affliction, to help Israel overcome the affliction that this northern kingdom is suffering. And Yahweh did not speak to eradicate the name of Israel from under the heavens. He saved them through Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And the rest, you see that's, that's about all that's said here about him. The rest of the events of Jeroboam, all that he did in his mighty deeds, how he fought, how he restored Damascus and Hamath to Judah through Israel are written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Israel. Jeroboam slept with his forefathers, with the kings of Israel and his son Zechariah reigned in his stead. See, not the things that happened in those decades that he was the king, the greatness, the expansion of his of his kingdom and the, 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 the might of the military, just something said here. Oh, he, he, fought, some, he fought some and he defeated uh, his nations and, and uh, he restored places to Israel. He, he gained back his boundaries. It did not, but the, the details there, the, the years that went through that and uh, the strength and the blessing of God and the power of the military... And the strong economy uh, that had been caused by the hand of Yahweh. Those things are just sort of not written about it. it just says, this is what he did. And then he died. Uh, and his son reigned in his stead. Now back to Uzziah, king of Judah. And back to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He went forth and waged war. So he has a very strong and committed foreign policy, if you want to call it that. If there's a threat or if his counselors tell him him that something might be a threat someday, he moves against it. He protects the people. He protects the nation. He went forth, waged war with the Philistines. He breached the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in Ashdod among the Philistines. And Elohim helped him against the Philistines. This is why it happened. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who dwelt in Gerbaal and the Mayanites. And the Ammonites gave Uzziah a gift and his name went until the approach to Egypt for he had become exceedingly strong. Now, once again, we're covering years and years of accomplishment and uh, victory in war and growth of an economy and prosperity to the land. just kind of goes across it But it tells us that Elohim, he went forth, but only because Elohim helped him, and he had become exceedingly strong, but only because Elohim helped him. There's a hand of God. The hand of God is doing all of this, okay? Purpose of God. Isaiah built towers in Jerusalem. The corner gate, valley gate at the corner, he strengthened them. He built towers in the desert. He hewed many cisterns. Now this is the domestic policy. He brings, uh, he brings richness and, and water uh, and security to the land. For he had much cattle in the lowlands and the plains, plowmen, vine dressers in the mountains and in the fruitful fields, for he loved the soil. He liked to see his land produce. So this helped the people. Uzziah had a force of warriors who went out to war by bands. According to the number of their counting by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Maaseah, the officer, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's chiefs, the entire number of the heads of the father's houses, the mighty warriors, 2,600. Under their jurisdiction, an army of three hundred seven thousand five hundred, those who wage war with mighty power to help the king. Against the enemy. So the the land here is secure. Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire host, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and sling stones. And he made in Jerusalem devices. Now, these were actually inventions that were still in use. I read this somewhere. These devices were still in use in the 8th century AD. Uh, they were devices that could uh, that that could throw, you know, I guess, oil and fire and big stones and all. And he put them on the towers. And I suppose he made them mobile uh, as well. But these inventions came during the time of Isaiah, Invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot with arrows and huge stones. And his name went forth far abroad, for he did wondrous things... To help himself until he became strong. So Uzziah, you remember back what he said earlier. As long as he sought the Lord, things went well for him. And the nation became a mighty nation. The military became a mighty military. Victory after victory after victory. And he tended to the prosperity of the people. So that there was, there was abundance and production and fruitfulness because he loved the soil. He he did things. He cisterns of water and all this. He did things to make sure that the land would continue to produce. Thus the people could maintain their work, and Judah could become an economic force in the world. But then things went wrong. Beginning in chapter 26 and verse 16. When he became strong, his heart became haughty until he became corrupt. And he trespassed against Yahweh, his God. And he came into the temple of Yahweh to burn incense on the altar of incense. Okay, he thinks that he's as good as the priest, the high priest. He thinks he can do anything that he wants to do in the temple. This was a grievous sin. He could not escape judgment from this. He thought so much of himself, he didn't need the priesthood. He can do it himself. People can look to him for priestly help. Well, okay. So he breaches the temple and the altar of incense and begins to burn the incense himself. And Azariah the priest came after him. And with him were priests of Yahweh, 80 mighty men. So you have 80 priests who were strong in war and they're not going to put up with this. And they stood beside Uzziah, Uzziah, the king said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to Yahweh, but for the priests, sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have trespassed, and there will not be glory for you from the Lord God, from Yahweh Elohim. Uzziah became furious, and his hand was a censer to burn, in his fury with the priests The leprosy came on him, shone upon his forehead, right in front of the priests in the house of Yahweh, over the altar of incense. Just then, leprosy started right here. It started right here, and then it just spreads all over his body, as we're going to see. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests turned to him, and behold, he was stricken with leprosy on his forehead. They rushed him out of that place. He was unclean, and he too hastened to leave. For Yahweh had smitten him. The great and mighty king who thought he would be a priest as well. King Uzziah was stricken with leprosy until the day of his death. He lived in a house of retirement. For it had been decreed from the house of Yahweh. And Jotham, his son was over the king's house. He judged the people of the land. Now you see who took over when he became unclean. The priesthood. The priests brought the truth of the word of God, the law of Moses, the Torah, brought the truth out and there was no other way around it. The king could no longer be the king and his son would have to rule in his place. So he was known as the one who judged the people of the land. And now here's the count of death, the death of Uzziah. The rest of the events of Uzziah, both the earlier ones and the later ones, you see how, his, how his, his life is divided into the early time of his doing good and the later time of his doing evil. Isaiah, the son of Amoz, the prophet inscribed. Uzziah slept with his forefathers. They buried him with his forefathers in the cemetery of the kings, for they said, He is a mezorah. Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. And then back over to chapter 15, 2 Kings, verses 6 and 7. The rest of the events of Azariah and all that he did are written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Judah. Azariah slept. Azariah is the same as Uzziah. Uzziah means the strength of Yahweh, and Azariah means Yahweh helps. And I'm sure there's a sermon in why each writer gave his view, but that's for another time. Ezra slept with his forefathers. They buried him with his forefathers in the city of David. Jodham his son reigned in his stead. Sin a little leaven leavens the whole lump, spoils everything. It continues and continues, and it's crawling through even the southern kingdom of Judah as we move through Kings and Chronicles, we will see the demise of the northern kingdom and finally the destruction of the southern kingdom. Going to stop there. We'll have our deacon prayer time.